Well, this morning uh, we are going to uh, continue our sermon series as we've been looking at uh, biblical eldership. We've been, uh, for the past few weeks, uh, walking through this idea and this thought of um, what is biblical eldership? What does it look like? What is it? Um, who is a biblical elder and um, how do they function inside of the church? And so today we are going to um, continue that sermon series. And the purpose of this sermon series is because we are on our way towards an ask. We, as the leadership of the church, are moving towards asking the congregation this simple question. May, may we as a church ordain lay shepherds or lay elders to assist in leading and caring for the congregation? Now, that's, that's the ask, and it's going to come before the congregation to speak into. Um, but basically, we are actually at the, the process or the point in our church and fellowship, the life of our fellowship, where we are already ordaining um, ministers or pastors to serve as, as shepherds of the flock. But what we're asking for is not only do we um, ordain vocational pastors, but we're looking for the church to give approval to come alongside and, and ordain lay shepherds or lay elders. And so as we've been walking towards this question and this answer, we've been looking at biblical eldership from many different ways. The, the first way that we began looking at this a few weeks ago is we looked at the image of the elder from through that of the shepherd. So we looked at Jesus and we looked at God and how they give us the imagery of who they are as our shepherds. Uh, but then we also looked and saw how God calls men to, to come and to assist leading his people as, as elders. So we looked at the shepherd as one that knows the sheep. The shepherd is one that leads the sheep. The shepherd is responsible for providing for the sheep. And the shepherd is responsible for protecting the sheep. Then we looked at, uh, last week we looked at how elders and the role of elders, how is related inside of our congregation. And this is what we looked at and we saw that under the leadership or the headship of Christ... We see within the church, elders lead, deacons serve, and congregation, the congregation is the one that governs. And then last week, we also looked at qualifications of an elder. What are the qualities or what are the characteristics that we are to look for in men that we ordain? And so we looked at the, the fact that there needs to be a calling, that there needs, this is a spiritual thing where the Holy Spirit comes upon men and, and or calls men out to serve in this position. Then we looked at the motivation. What is the motivation behind uh, men that are, are, we're calling to serve in these positions? Then we also looked at the manner of life. What does a, a man that is, uh, God is calling to serve as an, an elder, what are, what are the... What does his lifestyle look like? And is it a godly lifestyle, a life that is pursuing God? And then we also looked at the qualifications as they relate to the abilities. There are certain abilities that God calls uh, elders to, or if God is calling an elder, they need to have certain abilities. And today, what we're going to do with our time together is we're going to look at the office of elder as it is limited to qualified men. So that, that may be a negative way of saying it. A positive way of saying it is, is we're going to look at the office of elder as it is to be filled by qualified men. So that's more of a positive way. Uh, and we've kind of been talking about this, and this is kind of an aside uh, topic. It doesn't really per directly pertain to biblical eldership, but it's something that we need to discuss. Um, as as we, especially as we go through the qualifications last week, we saw all of the, the male pronouns and the assumption or the assertion that, that 
the elders are to be filled by men. And so I wanted to spend a few moments today giving the, the biblical teaching of, of God's design for leadership. So we're going to look at the Bible, and we're going to look at its teaching and as it's related to men and women within the church, and show how there's implication of that. And we're also going to give you some biblical justification uh, for this position. And uh, we're going to walk through this together. So I'm going to ask if you would take out your Bible and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, and it's on page 851 if you have one of the Bibles that we have provided as we look at biblical leadership today and as we look at eldership as well. Let's pray before we dive into God's Word. Father, we come before you now thanking you for loving us so much. And Father, we thank you that you have given us through the revelation of your Word instructions as to how we are to live, but also as to how we are to operate in this body called the church. Father, we are readily aware this morning that you are the head of your church, that you are the one that calls the shots, and you are the one that we ultimately owe all of our submission and all of our authority to. So today, Father, as we come under the teaching of your word, may you instruct our hearts, may you encourage our hearts, And may you just help us to to live more closely with you and more in line with you. God, speak in these next few minutes and allow us to have ears that listen and hearts that are receptive. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we look at 1 Timothy, we're going to jump in and, and look at 1 Timothy beginning in verse 11. But today, as we come to this passage, I want us to be aware that sometimes the teachings of truth are hard for us to take. Sometimes when we hear truth, sometimes it hits our ears in a way that causes a response in us that may not be overly receptive to truth. I I can remember the first time that I heard the gospel and I realized that I was a sinner. That to me was not a message that, and the first time I heard it, was something that I was ready to accept. Even though it was true and even though it was good, I wasn't ready to really hear it. So what we need to be aware of today as we look at this teaching is that if a teaching is true, if it comes from the Lord and it is true, then it ultimately is good. Whether or not we like it or not, if it's from God and it's true, then it is ultimately good. Let me give you an example of this. You see this in in the life of my children. You see, my children respond differently to medicine. For we know that medicine has been designed to help cure the body or to help the body overcome certain ailments or sicknesses so that they may feel better. And my my children respond to medicine in different ways. Now, when they're sick or they have um, some sort of cold or, or some sort of sickness where they need amoxicillin, my kids love amoxicillin because amoxicillin is there to help fight infections. And my children love the taste. They love, love it when they go to the doctor and the doctor says, hey, you get amoxicillin. My kids are like, yeah, amoxicillin. Because they get to go to Walmart and they get to go to the pharmacist and they get to see this list on the wall of all the different flavors that they can get their amoxicillin in. So it's like going to Baskin Robbins where you have 31 flavors. So they get to go to the pharmacy and they're like, oh, I want, I want, I want gum this time or I want grape. And so they get to, get to choose it and they love the flavor. And they, There's no problem for them taking amoxicillin because they love the taste. But on the other hand, if we give them something like triaminic, triaminic, if you have kids and they've tried to triaminic, you'll know what I'm talking about. Triaminic is good because it helps fight coughs and it helps fight cold, but my children despise the taste of triaminic. It does good for their body, but I remember watching them take it, even for the first time and several times since then. When they take it, 
it almost evokes a gag reflex. They're like, or they'll take it and they get the shakes. You guys remember, you know, like you take medicine, you're like, you get the shakes because you're like, oh, it's so bad. But you know you take it because inevitably it's going to do good for your body. And so you, you stomach it and you walk through it because it helps you. But see, these two responses are very similar to how we come to the truths of Scripture and how we respond to them. Sometimes we love the taste and we love the effect of the words we hear in the gospel, such as John 3, 16, when we hear that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. When we hear that, that is palatable to our ears and it makes our hearts leap and we want to embrace that teaching and that truth from the word of God. But sometimes we might hear another truth from the word of God that causes us to have kind of a a response that's more like a gag reflex where we get the shakes. And this teaching such as this where Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. So some today that are here under the teaching of this word, your response may be similar to that of taking amoxicillin where you, you see it and you've wrestled and you take joy in, in receiving this teaching. But for some of you, it may be challenging for you. You may initially hear what the Bible says and you might say to yourself, well, that can't be right. I don't like that teaching and I don't, I don't understand it and I don't like it. But today I want to encourage you, if, if you're here today and that's you, I want to encourage you to sift through your your discomfort and find the truth that is contained within the heart of God. So let's look right here as we begin. We're going to look at at Paul's teaching or, or God's teaching for the church as it is related. So let's first look at the teaching. And this teaching is going to be the part that may invoke some response, whether positive or negative. So let's look in verse 11 of chapter 2. Let a woman learn... Quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, let me reiterate as we jump into this the teaching is good. That if it's God's truth, it's good. And this teaching we see from the word of God is good for the order and design within the church. But I am aware this morning that this teaching may be hard to swallow. And I believe that this teaching is hard to swallow because our current culture and our current context. See, our our current culture will look at this teaching and sees it not as God's design, but they will see it as sexist and discriminatory. And what they do is they place this teaching from the word of God against the experience of women in the world today. They place it against their experiences and the, the images that we see where there have been heinous acts of discrimination and suffering of women at the hand of cruel and irresponsible men. This morning I want us to tell us and and to be assured that we can't throw off God's design just because we see men in the world today and in history past that have marred the image and design that God has given us through years of misinterpretation and abuse. So today I want to seek to remind us of the goodness in this teaching. I want us today to understand God's design. For by God's design, he has created both male and female. He has made us distinctly different. We look differently. We are wired differently. But in the same way that we're different, God has made us to complement one another. And we can look through the Bible and we see the biblical teaching verses regarding men and women 
is that men and women are fully equal in personhood. They're fully equal in dignity. They're fully equal in value, but they are distinct in their roles. And that's what we're going to take a look at today as we, we see this in this passage specifically. So let's look at the context of what Paul is saying to Timothy. Remember last week as we began and looked at this letter, we, we realized that, that Paul has written this letter as an elder to another elder to give order and to give instruction as to how the church is supposed to operate. What are specific behaviors within the church? What is, what is godly? What is God um, pleasing inside of the church and so as he's giving order he has been giving us certain behaviors as we look at the first part of chapter two we see that paul is giving instructions to all people he says that we should look to and pray for those that are in authority over us then he moves on from there and he he gives us instruction as to how men he says specifically these are how men are supposed to operate within the church these are how what are men are supposed to do inside of the church and then this teaching comes as paul turns his attention from men now into women and he says this is how women are to relate within the church and this is how they are to relate to the congregation as a whole so if we think of the body of Christ as, as the congregation or, or the whole within a continued or a contained um, congregation, this is how women are supposed to operate at that level. And so we must fully understand this teaching before we can apply this teaching to ourselves. So we see here in verses 11 and 12, I want us to see that Paul gives us first positive behaviors in verse 11. And then he also gives prohibited boundaries. And we're going to talk about that just for a moment. First of all, he gives positive behaviors. He says there that I instruct women to learn. Let women learn. Now, what we've got to understand is culturally and contextually, this is a positive thing. He says, women, you are to learn because now in Christ, you have this freedom. You have this access to the God of the universe that you have full power and you have full access to God because of your faith in Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, learn. The doors have been opened. There's nothing standing in the way from you knowing God and knowing his will for your life. You can know the word, you can interpret the word, you can understand the word, and you can live the word. So he says, learn. But then he gives them this qualification on their learning. He says, in your learning, do it in quietness. Now what Paul is saying here is he's not saying that women should never talk. What he's saying, though, is quietness here means peaceableness, and a teachable spirit. So that's what he's saying. Women, now that you have access, use this access, and as you are accessing the Lord and you're learning more about him, do it peaceably and do it with a teachable spirit. He could have been in, in the context of, of Timothy or of Paul as he's writing to Timothy of the church of Ephesus. It could have been that the women in this congregation, had, as they were experiencing this new freedom, they may have begun to throw off restraint. They may have used this opportunity to, to voice their disagreements, to voice their questions, and to voice their statements. And they had thrown off the whole learning experience, the whole learning environment that God had designed within the church. And they may have been becoming disruptive. So this teaching may, may come as a result of that. But basically, if it did or didn't, what we know is, is that Paul here is saying... That women are to operate inside the church, to live inside the church, to minister inside the church, to learn inside the church, not as people of contention, but they are to learn in a way that helps establish proper order in worship. So that it's not an environment in which there's disagreements and there's arguments in the way of standing in people learning and coming to know Christ. 
And so he says positively learn, and he says learn in quietness, and then he also says learn in full submission. And this has to do with the overall disposition of a woman. It has nothing to do with their ability to think. It has nothing to do with their importance of a person. It has no way of, of saying this person is more important than the other. But rather, this is a teaching that God has given us to, as he orders and gives us leadership. It's not a preference of character. But he shows us in the case of women and it includes the qualities of peaceableness, of gentleness, and a disposition towards the willingness to surrender their questions of spiritual authority to male. You see, in the life of the church, women are free to question. Women are free to contemplate. Women are free to formulate ideas. But the characteristics of peace and submission are supposed to prevail. So that's the positive. Some of you are like, that's not really positive. That that's like, feels oppressive to my soul, but it's not. It's an access that we have and its ability to, to allow God to teach us things and the Holy Spirit to, to redirect our thoughts and our minds. But then Paul goes a step further and he says, so positive behaviors, and then he goes on to say, these are prohibitive boundaries. Now as we've talked about boundaries in the past, what we see is God always gives his people guardrails. He says, these are the guardrails, this is the path. If you want to have life and you want to have life abundantly, these are the, the, the boundaries that I've set so that you can walk in that peace, walk in that joy. When you go outside of those boundaries, that's when you enter into the life of rebellion and that's when you enter into the life of being disobedient. But we need to remember here, as boundaries that God gives us boundaries, there's lots of freedom inside those boundaries to move, and we see this again. But God is giving the church here prohibitive boundaries. And it's interesting that these prohibitive boundaries directly relate to the positive behaviors. So in the positive behavior, it says learn. But then we have this prohibitive boundary about teaching, so teaching and learning. But then we also see a prohibitive boundary as it relates to authority and submission. So as we stay right here in the text, we see that Paul prohibits women and God prohibits women not to teach men. He says women at the church level are forbidden from teaching men. For teaching at the church level involves official doctrinal instruction. Not that women can't, not not that they don't have a mind for it, but it's not just God's design. So women are not to teach men. Secondly, we also see that women are not supposed to exercise authority over men. For then this idea of authority, it's this ongoing shepherding of the direction of the church is given to, the responsibility of that is given to men. Why is it this way? Why does God set it up this way? I want us to look just for a a moment at the implication of this. So turn our attention to an implication and we ask ourselves, why is it that women are not per- permitted to teach and to lead the church? And the reason they're not is because that role and that responsibility for the church has been designated and it has been given to that of the elder. We can see the, the role of the elder, if we just flip right over to, to chapter 3, we see as, as, as Paul is giving the qualifications of elders, he continually uses the male or masculine pronoun. But then he goes on and says, in that, in those qualifications, this elder must have the ability to teach. He must have the ability to oversee and to give doctrinal instruction to that of the whole church. But we also see throughout the whole New Testament that there is no example in the New Testament of a female elder. Every time we see the, the, the title of an elder, it's always related to that of a man. 
But then we also see not only qualifications, but we see the accommodation of the elder. The elder is strictly given instruction in 1 Timothy 5, 17. The elder is given the instruction to lead and to teach in the church. So therefore, let's draw this all together. Therefore, since the elder is given the responsibility of leading and teaching in the church, and since women are not to teach and lead men, it follows that women cannot be elders within the church. Now, as we continue on, we must see that this is not just an implication. Paul goes immediately from that moment. As he gives these instructions, Paul immediately moves to the biblical and theological justification for this teaching. He doesn't just say, this is my thoughts, these are, these are my ideas. He says, no, no, this is from the word of God. This is, he's setting it up, he's looking back in the word of God so that we can know that this has been God's design and God's, God's way from the beginning. Let's look at the justification that he gives in verse 13. He says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. She will be saved through childbearing if they continue in the faith and holiness with self-control. So what Paul is doing is he's giving the, the, the biblical and theological foundations for this teaching. He's reaching all the way back to the, the origin or to the original design that God has given. And he starts off by giving the design before the fall. He says, before even sin was in the world, this is the way God designed it. And so he goes back and says, Adam and Eve, this is the way it was. And so he's hearkening back to Genesis chapter 2. And he says, this is the way God designed it. He designed, and as he created male and female, he did some designing uniquely. He made man to be first among equals. He made Adam to be physically, emotionally, and spiritually the head of the relationship. And he made woman, or Eve, to complement that position of headship. And so Paul is going to say, because this is the created order that God has given us, the family, it has direct application and implication for life within the church. So he's not saying that this is something apart from it, but it's been God's design all along. For if we walk through Genesis chapter 2, we see this as it's related to, to men and women, or Adam and Eve. We see that woman, or Eve, was made after Adam. We see that woman was made from Adam. Adam. We see that woman was made for man. And we see that this woman was brought to man and this woman was named by man. But if we go back also to Genesis chapter 2, we see before woman, before women came into the world, Adam was the one that received the role and responsibilities from God. God gave Adam the opportunity and the responsibility to oversee the garden. He says, this garden is yours and you're responsible for working it and keeping it. That is given to you. But then even before Eve comes on the scene, it is Adam who receives the prohibitive boundaries about the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Eve wasn't even on the scene when, when God comes to Adam and says, don't eat of this tree. Eat of everything else. You have all of this freedom. You have all of these bounds that you're able to walk in freedom. But then he says, but in that, just don't eat of this tree. So you have all this freedom. But it's given to man. We also know from Genesis chapter 2 that it was not good for man to be alone. That is a beautiful truth that I love, but it's a beautiful truth that we must understand within truth, it, within the church. It is not good for man to be alone. Man needs a helper, and God gave a helper. Man has great needs. He has needs, and he still has needs, even today. But there are different roles. 
So before the fall, we see that, that God's, God's setting up this design. But then in verse 14, we look at what happens at the fall. For it was Adam, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So Paul, again, is pointing back to that moment of the fall. He's pointing back to that moment, and in this moment, we see so many things taking place on so many different levels. But in this passage, he's reminding us of how the fall is related to men and women. You see, in this passage, in in the fall, we see two great sins. There's a sin of the man, and there's a sin of the woman. The first we see that Adam, in Genesis chapter 3, is abdicating his role. That's the greatest sin, and this is the biggest challenge that men have today, is that many times we see men abdicating their responsibility, men abdicating their role. You see, Adam was the one that received the word. He knew the truth. He knew the way that they were supposed to walk in the Lord. And it was his care that he was supposed to look over his wife and help lead her to love the Lord more. So he knew the rules. He had the rules. And yet we see when when Eve is there and she's tempted by, by Satan to take of the fruit, it says that she gave some to her husband and he who was there with her. So Adam is standing back, watching his wife leap or, or reach for that fruit. And instead of stepping in and saying, Eve, don't you remember the love and the words of God? Don't you remember that he's given us this prohibition? He says, don't do this. For if we do this, then we will surely die. Instead, he sits back and he's silent. Man, this is the fault of many, 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 many great men throughout the cent- throughout centuries. And it's also the challenge even within our own homes. We see men abdicating their role. But then we also see Satan continually seeking to circumvent God's design. If Satan wants to get in, he wants to break things apart, he doesn't go to the head. He doesn't go to the man and try to persuade the man. Instead, he goes to the woman. And Satan, in his cunning way, begins to speak to the woman. And she, because she hears him, she desires what he's talking about. She reaches for the fruit. We see this constant, constant pressure within the family, but also in the church where, where men will continually uh, be challenged to not abdicate their role, but we also see that women will also be continually be challenged not to circumvent God's design. For we see as a result of the fall, God says to women, he says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. There's constantly this pressure. So at the fall, we see great horrendous things taking place. But then we also see after the fall what life looks like. And, and Paul talks about it in, in 1 Timothy again, verse 15. He says, yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So the meaning of this verse in verse uh, 15, after the fall, as is, is Paul is relating um, what took place then and how it works itself out in the life of the church I will tell you, the meaning of this verse has been debated. So after reading all the debates and understanding all the debates, I want to give you the best interpretation that I feel fits the context and the teaching of what Paul is saying in reference to all of this. So in essence, he here is referencing childbirth. Now what he's saying here is he's using childbirth as a reminder to women to embrace their important role that God has given 
He says women have important roles and responsibilities as God has given them. And one of these, one of these great roles is that of bearing children. Now, I'm also aware that there are some women in the world today that, 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 that see this and they say, well, I don't have children. I can't have children. So does that mean I don't have a role and responsibility? What I want you to believe and see here today is that Paul is talking about childbearing. He's only talking about one of the roles. So it could be that uh, uh, the role of bearing children could be that women actually bear children, but also women that have the desire to bear children. That is a godly thing. But he goes on to say, and I, I believe that it's not the only role that men or that women have. Women are not just here just to birth children. Though That is a beautiful thing. That is an amazing responsibility. That is a wonderful promise that God has. But see, what Paul, I think, is pointing to is helping women see that in the guardrails that he's given the church, there are many opportunities. And to embrace their role, not think about what they're limited to, but think about what they can do. There's so many important roles that women have in the created order, but also in the church. And Paul is encouraging women here today. Here, he's saying, women, work out your salvation by being faithful to your roles. That's what he's saying. He's saying, be faithful to the things which God has entrusted you to do. By doing that, you will work out your salvation and the church will be blessed. So that's the teaching. I want to spend just the last few moments of our time together looking at the application. So though the office of elder is limited to men, which is what the point of this teaching is for us to understand that when we as a church proceed down the road and we begin and the church affirms this and says, hey, we want to affirm the fact that we want lay elders, the question's not going to come up, well, what about this woman? What about this woman? I want us to see that the, the teaching here is this, that God desires that the elder of the church be men. We've been harping on this a little bit. I want to spend just a few moments bringing some balance to the full counsel of Scripture. And I want to affirm in these last few minutes that women are an indispensable part of the church and the ministry of the church. I want to also give us ideas and and, and a sense that there are, are possibilities for other forms of leadership and ministry in the church for women that are vast. And Paul uses uh, and discusses these, these roles later on in, in, in 1 Timothy, but also in Titus, in Romans, and many other places. And I want us to give us some application about, so if, if women aren't to be elders, what are the many great things that they can do? What are their roles and responsibilities that God has given them? And I want to give us in, in different respects. So first of all, if there are moms, if you're a mom or you hope to someday be a mom, Paul gives some clear instructions to those mothers in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 14. So he goes on to say, I would have younger women, widows, marry, bear children, and manage their households. So God gives, and through Paul, he gives moms the opportunity and the responsibility of passing on their faith to their children. Part of your role, part of your job, and part of your joy is to bear children. And in doing so, you have the opportunity to pass on your faith. The immediate context in which you have people looking to you, asking for advice, needing teaching, needing molding, is your children. So you have the opportunity to teach them and lead them to love the Lord and follow in your example. We also see that Paul gives specific instructions to wives, and and the whole Bible gives instructions to wives as to what are they to do in their role. We see in Genesis that God gives them the opportunity to be a helper. He says, you are the helpmate of this man. You come alongside and you help him. 
Proverbs chapter 31 is a great uh, passage of scripture to read through to look at the, the role of a wife, the godly woman that men are supposed to look for. We can also look at, at Titus and we see in Titus that, that women are instructed to love their husbands. Now that's a joy, but that's also a chore. Like it's, it's a task for a woman to love their husband. I know it's a task for my wife to love me because I'm obstinate. I'm, I'm easily... There's lots of things I need help with. So I'm glad that I have my beautiful, wonderful wife. But we also see through scripture that wives, and related to the elder, that wives are a very vital work to the work of an elder. They are a very vital aspect to the work of an elder. For we know, and this is anecdotal, but we know that behind every godly man is a godly woman. You think about all the great godly men that we, we look to and we, we revere. I think of... Um, Billy Graham, and I had the opportunity a few years ago to read the biography of his wife, and she is a godly, godly woman that prays for her husband, cares for her husband, helps protect her husband. And so we see examples of that, that, that behind every godly man is a godly woman. I've also heard this, and I was taught this in seminary, and I want to share it with you uh, today. As we were talking about roles of, of men and women and husbands and wives and that of the, the family and that of the church, and, and we can see this. That a great woman, this is a truth that I've seen played out in life, that a great woman can take a mediocre man and build him up so that he is great. But at the same time, we can see a mediocre woman can take a great godly man and make him mediocre. So if there are great godly men in the world, we know that behind them are great godly women. I know that's true in my own life, in my own experience. I could not be the man that I am and could not lead in the way God calls me to lead unless I had a helper such as my wife. Like, if you even look at our lives, you know that my wife compliments me in so many great ways. Like, I need my wife. But we also see that God gives instructions to moms. God gives instructions to wives. But he also gives strict instructions to older women. In, in Titus chapter 2, 3, and 4, or 3 through 5, God instructs older women to use their role to teach and train younger women. That's what he says. It is your role if you're older. And what he's meaning, not, not just that you're aged, but that you are experienced in walking with the Lord. If you've been walking with the Lord and, and the Lord has shown you many things and you've learned many things, it is your responsibility. It is also your opportunity and it should be your joy to train and teach younger women. So you have the opportunity to teach. You have the opportunity to train. You have the opportunity to lead. But then I also want us to see what is Scripture's teaching for, for women in general. In the life of the church and in the ministry, we see this even in Paul's experience, especially as he, he goes to Romans chapter 16. Paul begins to expound and he shares all of the ways, and as he's giving personal greetings, he shows, he gives us insight into the church and says that there are many, many women that are indispensable in the work of the church. In Romans chapter 16, 10 out of the 27 people that Paul mentions are women. He says, and he gives them this commendation. He says, you have worked hard in the Lord. Now, this is not something we should overlook. But we see as we look through that list and as we were to look at the stories and the lives of all of those women, we see that some of them co-labored with men very well. Some of them led their families well or, or, or worked within the church very well. They gave of their lives. They gave of their time. They gave of their talents. And the church has benefited because of their ministry. So I want us to be aware of that this morning. But to our fellowship, as we take this teaching and we take the, the leading of Scripture and the teaching of Scripture and try to bring them together, what I want us to see 
that I believe if we look at our church, we look at our fellowship, I think we strike a good balance of this in our church. So I'm not preaching because I, I think that we need to change things. I'm, I'm preaching this so that we can, exp- so I can explain to you why it is that we do the things that we do and the way we do the things that we do. I mean, if you look around our church, we have women serving in amazing ways. We have men serving in amazing ways. And we, but we need both for the continued ministry of this church. So if you're a woman here today, I want to affirm the fact that we need you. I want you to infer, to, to affirm the fact that we need you, but also to affirm you in a way of saying, if God has given you special talents and abilities, we pray that you're using them for the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom in this place. So if you have the ability to teach, we want you to teach. If you have the ability to be hospitable, we want you to be hospitable. If God is giving the blessing of bearing children, bear many, many children. Bear lots of them. We love that. We love the bearing of children. We've, I've done my part well, I did, and my wife did her part. But also, if you're a man, we want to affirm the fact that we need you. Like We also want to affirm the fact that we know that there's a tendency within our hearts to step back. Like, I just don't want to get involved. I've got so many other things going on. Just, I, I just don't want to lead. You don't have that choice. Affirm the fact that, men, we need you. We need you to be leaders, and we need you to, to follow the roles and embrace the roles that God has given us. So together, as we continue to seek the Lord's design, I want us to, to encourage us to embrace our roles. As we move forward, let us continually avoid abdicating our responsibilities, but also let us avoid circumventing God's design. So at the end of this series at the end of this sermon, I want to give you um, the motion that is going to come uh, from the, the leaders of our church and also the deacons that have affirmed this. This is the motion that's going to come, and we're going to spend some time discussing it this week at the, um, the members meeting uh, that is this Thursday night. And so I'm give you the motion so you can think about it, pray about it, and then come ready to discuss it. And then if, it, if all goes well there, somewhere at a later time, we as a church will, will vote to affirm this motion. This is the motion. I want you to hear it. The motion is that Hokesson Baptist Church recognizes the spiritual leadership of ordained elders, both lay and vocational. So I'll read it one more time. Um, it'll also be on the website later on. It'll be in the emails, and you'll see it this Thursday. Um, the motion is that Hokesson Baptist Church recognizes the spiritual leadership of ordained elders, both lay and vocational. So what they ask is this. The ask is we already are doing part of that. The church is already ordaining um, men to serve as elders in the vocational role. So Pastor John and, and, and myself, we are ordained to fill the spiritual leadership as ordained elders. But what we're asking, though, is will the church receive the ordaining of uh, qualified other vocational or lay elders to serve the church in that way? So that's the ask. That's where we've come. That's where we're going. And now it's time for the church to begin to decide. And I I pray that God would continue to take our minds and shape them and and form them in the way that he desires. And so if you're here today, if if you are here and you're like, I this this was a good teaching, this was good. I have, I have a different need. Maybe I, I, I'm here and I just need to know the Lord. Maybe my, my life has been crazy this week and my life has just been going downhill for a while and I need the Lord. 
Well, today, if that's you here, I want to encourage you that even though this message may not have strictly spoken to your heart or to your need, know that the Lord is one that cares for our needs. So whatever your need, you've come into this place. If you take your care and you place it upon the Lord, he will walk with you through that. And if you come here today and you have questions or you just need to talk with someone or you just need someone to pray, I'll be available or another adult or another man, another woman, just grab him by the hand and say, hey, will you teach me or this is my need? And we'd love to hear about that. I'm going to take our time and close us in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and thank you for your instructions. And Father, I just thank you so much for the way that you speak and the way that you care for your people and you care for your church. And God, may you just be with us as we seek to honor you in the direction of of your church. May we be obedient, but also, God, may you help us wrestle with truth and may you help us just to embrace your truth as good. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.